Welcome back to the Skits and Giggles podcast. I am Pascal, chief instigator of this show and your host. I'm joined by my co-host and the resident engineer, the ying to my yang, the box bunny to my daffy duck, Bryson. How's it going today? Pretty good, Pascal. What's up, Doc? <laughs> I'm all good. I'm all good. Thanks, man. I'm, I'm really looking forward to continuing our little uh, Zermatt theme that we've uh, got going over the last couple of episodes. I know the guys that have been following along with the Skits and Giggles podcast for a while, they know that, uh, you know, we've talked to a couple of guys already that uh, this has been a pretty, pretty critical event. So we had uh, Anna on uh, episode seven, I believe, and uh, the race was a very, very uh, interesting experience for her. She learned a lot about latex gloves. Um, we had uh, Jan and Dario on that took, uh, you know, the photo of the year on pink bike in Zermatt after the race. Uh, we had, we already talked to Lukas Huppert, who also made his seminal. Uh, appearance at an enduro race and he had a very interesting story to tell as well and that's why um you know we were pretty pretty stoked that we can actually talk to the race director and the course designer of the race in zermatt in the shadow of the magic mountain the motorhorn nick vicky how's it going nick hey good i'm psyched to be here thank you pascal and bryson well, we also have to thank you to do this podcast in English. It uh, really means a lot to us to be able to do this, and we are really looking forward to this conversation. Also, it's uh, yet another Friday night recording, and we uh, have to do a quick uh, beverage check. So, Nick, what have you got? I'm sitting here with the White Frontier Raspberry Melba, which is a sour beer. It's one of my wife's favorites. So don't tell her that I stole one of those. <laughs> uh, Bryson, so far you've been 50-50 uh, on the old uh, fun factor. What have you got tonight? Well, I can't let my uh, streak down. So I'm going with some original Burner Aqua. Ooh. Which vintage? Current? <sighs> I don't know. It dates pretty far back. <laughs> Unknown. Nice. <laughs> Right. Well, I'm sticking to my Amundsen New England IPA, and uh, you know, which has been a reoccurring theme on this podcast as well. Well, we've got all the beer talk out of the way already, so let's get down to business and do our quick spiel with the social and where you guys can find more information about the Skits and Giggles podcast. We are currently most active on Instagram, where you guys can skid right into our DMs and follow along at Skits and Giggles. And you can find our website with all the relevant links and info under the URL skitsandgiggles.com. Also, if you guys like what we're doing and want to follow along, just give us a follow on Spotify. Hit subscribe on Apple Podcasts or wherever else you listen to great podcasts. Right, with all of this out of the way, let's talk about Zermatt. Um, I've been to Zermatt twice, both times to race. Uh, I have my stories and memories to tell. But Nick, from your perspective, certainly from last year, 2020, a memorable, a memorable vintage of this race. Um, what were your highlights? Yeah, definitely the highlight was when, uh, you know, the last rider uh, crossed the finish line and, uh, you know, everything went over rather well. Uh, even though all the signs were, uh, you know, pointing in a different direction at the beginning of that weekend. But I mean, no, in, in general, it's it's been um, a huge learning curve for the whole team. Um, and we were still super stoked to have uh, been able to pull off the first ever EWSE, you know, on, um, on Thursday and Friday. Um, yeah. Overall, uh, a uh, super positive, uh, you know, outcome. Also, you know, in a Corona year and so on with the weather. Yeah. Well, what was so special about the weather? I can't remember. I was too frozen. <laughs> but your your uh, what's the your memory compartment was frozen, so you'd have no memory <laughs> recollection of that. <laughs> Probably. So yeah, for the ones who haven't been there or haven't listened to the podcast, um, yeah, 
we knew that Saturday and Sunday, which were training and race day, uh, are going to be cold and wet. And yeah, we actually had snow on, on race day and all over, like even on sun, uh, Saturday, horrible conditions to, to train in, freezing cold and wet. Yeah, it was, Saturday was mostly wet and uh, Sunday was mostly cold. Um, yeah. But yeah, I mean, it was, uh, you know, it's, it's, a, it's a race in the Alpine and uh, stuff like that, unfortunately, you have to prepare for. But, um, you know, maybe coming back a little bit to, to your role, uh, we said you're the race director and uh, course designer. So maybe can you explain a little bit what uh, your responsibilities are when it comes to organizing uh, an EWS um, race weekend? Yeah, um, maybe I'll. Maybe what a lot of people don't know or racers don't know is that the the EWS is basically like a, a franchising system, if you want to call it that. And the local organizers, um, which would be, for example, Crankworks in Whistler, um, or we here, the Trail Off Festival in Zermatt, they actually put together the the races, make uh, all the calculations for the courses. Um, put together the the safety um, measures and so on. Um, actual the actual course design. Basically, we or uh, as an organizer, we provide that to the EWS, and the EWS they uh, give a, a green light or, or or a red light. Okay, and um, are there uh, specific rules in in terms of what? Uh <clears throat> what kind of difficulty the trail needs to be or um, you know what kind of features it needs to have and uh, etc um, it's not so much about the difficulty itself it's more about the overall um, we call it like uh, the overall function of the of the the whole course which means okay how long is each individual stage how long are they together there is certain times for example, a, a EWS race can't be shorter than 20 minutes overall. Um, a stage, you know, shouldn't be shorter than two minutes and so on. Um, and the whole flow of the course has to, has to work, which is getting more and more complicated because we're, um, we're, we're having, you know, more and more people racing, you know, we're talking about five, six, 700 people like Whistler for example is a huge race um, in Gromontana this year we're aiming for 500 people um, and uh, it's it's less about really like how many corners can you put in there and uh, you know how big the drops can be um, but it's more about the yeah like the overall flow of the course Okay, and how, I guess one of the, the main challenges um, as a racer is to, um, to anticipate how the, the course and the trail is changing as, you know, practice progresses and as the race progresses. Um, and of course, you know, if you have, you know, you said a number, if you have 500 racers and uh, you have add conditions like we had last year in Zermatt, you add that to it and the course is obviously changing quite dramatically from you know even between the racers depending on how things are going um so how do you anticipate that as a, a course designer do you pick specific trails or do you have you know some other strategies that you use yeah that's a really good question for example it's it's a bad idea to use new trails or actually you know build trails you know the week before the race um, that can, you know, bite you uh, when when the the conditions are are wet. So in general, it's a good advice to use, you know, uh, trails that have been uh, packed already, that have been used already, um, and and certain certain things like that you you have to take into account. But I also have to say, th the course has to. Be designed in a way that it all works together which means a lot of the EWS stages special stages are like um, combinations of individual trails which means you have to link them somehow 
And that's why we always or often see, you know, bits on a, on a gravel road, you know, bits over a field and so on. The good old uh, mid-stage uphill sprint, the f- rider favorite. <laughs> yeah, who doesn't like that? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but, um, <clears throat> you know, coming back to maybe a little bit uh, Zermatt as, um, as a venue, I mean, of course, you know, we've heard from uh, other guests already that uh, it's a bit of a challenge to get to. Um, you know, even for people that live in Switzerland, uh, it's it's a long way to go, even in our small country. Um, it's probably even worse for anyone that travels from afar. Um, but um, the flip side to that is, of course, that you have some fantastic terrain and um, and can put on, a, I think, a fantastic race. So what is the... Um, from your perspective, what are kind of the, the main drivers to, to put on a race in a place like Zermatt? And how do you how do you tackle those challenges of having difficult logistics? I mean, that's that's a, that's a, that was a huge um, um, obstacle or uh, something like to overcome for us. Um, we're talking not only about the individual riders that you know arrive and have to arrive by train and can't drive to Zermatt with the car and so on but we're talking about you know trucks and and um, you know teams like all the official teams that need a setup they need to bring their their cars their mechanics their their whole workshop and so on so that was one of our uh, biggest challenges um it is has a lot to do with with um uh, you know, making sk- schedules, you know, talking to the cantonal police for permissions, to the municipality for permissions and so on. Um, so it's a, definitely an added layer um, of complication to the organization. Um, and which uh, one thing that was very special was the first year we um, we put it on in 2019, we had to like talk to every team manager and really explain how it works and you know also explain that we have this figured out if they come on time if they are you know in this schedule so very swiss mm-hmm. <laughs> and and uh once they did all that uh, in 2019 uh 2020 was way easier because they knew how how the procedures go they knew that somebody was there when they arrive and so on Okay, then on, then you as a as a slight complication in 2020, you just had Corona that uh, <laughs> had to yeah. had to add some some complexity to to a well thought through uh, running order for people to stick to. Yeah, uh, but how uh, you know? Of course, you had a little bit of, of leeway in terms of or a bit of a run in to the event, so you, you kind of knew what were you were getting into. Maybe just briefly, what were the the main the main challenges of, of, you know, of course, the corona situation and the, you know, the safety measures that have to be put in place. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, something that everybody is struggling at the moment is like we don't have any any um, way to really plan things in the sense that we don't have any uh, like any way of knowing what's happening in, in three weeks. Uh, that was the case in the summer already. And and what we did was we we tried you know not to use too much too many resources um just for our own you know uh, the the health of the company and the festival um but we we tried to basically cover all the basics which which means everything that had to do with the race we organized and anything that had to do with the festival you know surrounding it we we basically um uh we didn't do much or we couldn't do much and the very good thing about you know the the enduro racing and how it is uh, to race and with individual racers on the course and spread out over the whole day we always knew that this was a good like a uh, corona it would could um, fit well into the corona measures yeah okay yeah, it was obviously yeah true. You know, <laughs> with the um, you know, etc. The only I guess the bottleneck from our perspective was a little bit the uh, with the gondolas and uh, 
the vernicular, but uh, you know, you just had to wait one, and that was fine. Um, maybe not to to dwell too much on Corona, which unfortunately is still with us as we record this. But uh, I think uh, uh, an aspect I'm really interested in, especially in the context of last year, and, and of course I also want to talk about the other editions, but maybe to wrap up 2020, is um, the whole safety aspect, right? So as a, as a racer, it was, yeah, you know, I was sitting in my, um, in my accommodation waiting for the race to start. It was, we got tons of emails from Natalie, the athlete liaison. Um, so many, actually, that uh, most of them landed in my spam older um but uh and it wasn't wasn't quite clear what are the the real bottlenecks uh you know why why is it taking so long of course yes snow but uh you know snow has never stopped anything so maybe from your perspective can you maybe explain why there were so so many delays and then also cancellations of course mm -hmm. no that's uh that's a very interesting question and uh it's very different what happens behind the curtain curtains and what we know and what information we can work with and what, for example, the, you know, the riders know or the spectators and so on. Um, and I think that is something that is really hard to manage, you know, this communication. You, you want to communicate uh, a lot or so that it makes sense for, for everybody. But there are certain information that you can't, you know, uh, make public, public, if that makes sense. Um, but maybe uh, to elaborate on that a little bit, I can I can tell you like what the different steps were, and and uh, you know when or how we we decided on them. So in in general, the the first thing you you can and the first thing you want to do is um, you you take out the the first stage because that buys you not only time, but it buys you other resources. You have an additional stage manager. This stage manager has um, like timing managers and about, you know, up to 20 uh, race marshals on the stage, uh, plus an additional one or two first responders. So with that, you, you buy yourself a little bit of time um, looking at the weather, talking to the Air Zermatt in our case, which uh, do the aerial rescue, uh, having meetings with the local fire department, which do the terrestrial re rescue from the ground. So that's the first delay. Uh, we all know a stage doesn't take too long, so it doesn't buy you that much time, right? So it, all in all, you know, it buys you maybe half an hour, you can maybe move the, the start an additional half an hour, so you have an hour to work with. Uh, we have Ruri Cunningham and Chris Ball from the EWS, and we, we generally, generally make these decisions together. Yeah, then the next thing you want to look at is, you know, in our case, we had a lot of fog, which made rescue by helicopter really hard especially in higher altitude it was a bit easier because the fog you know was high enough that the helicopters can fly and see the ground uh, maybe you remember the the start of the first stage basically just about below the fog uh, and uh, just in the snow yeah exactly just <laughs> in the snow so what you do or what we did is um you're looking at the course and you're looking at the spots where it's hard to get to, um, where does it take a long time to get to and so on. Um, so the next move was to, to shorten the uh, stage two, uh, basically cut it in half, which uh, left you guys still with a super uh, hard <laughs> track to ride, especially in the- It was good fun. <laughs> <laughs> in the wet. Yeah, if anybody hasn't checked out uh, Jesse Melamed's uh, POV of that run, that is sick. Yeah. That's some <laughs> fantastic riding. <laughs> yeah. Um, so then, uh, as I said, you have resources, uh, an additional stage manager with his whole crew that can, can move to, to these uh, stages that, that are going to be 
open and that means you have a quicker response if so somebody happens you have more medics first responders um, on the stage and so on um, and we did that with um, with another stage um, we which was very high which we uh, cut completely and we basically only left in um, a fairly you know safe stage in the sense of like accessibility for the rescue um, and the last thing that you have to take into consideration is the riders fatigue so when it's cold when it when the riders are exposed at the start and so on you want you want them to not be out there for too long which means you try to shorten the liaison you try to um, shorten the like the, the waiting times um, and so on you give them an opportunity to go back to the to the hub and have you know dry clothes and so on but then we also have to think about you know the ews 100 uh, which is the non-licensed uh, uh, category which a lot of them don't have a you know, have, you know, dry clothes there or, or somewhere to go and have a shower or whatever, right? So you can't have them waiting in, in town, basically, until they have to start. Mm. Yeah. Oh, wow, that's super interesting. But uh, but yeah, of course. I mean, uh, from the from the the perspective of the racer, I think I can I can uh, you know just say thank you. I think it was uh, you know despite everything, it was uh, you know I think it was still a worthy race. Yes, it was pretty short. Uh, it was manageable. I did the the one hundred. Um, I didn't return back to my accommodation. I just you know did my start time. Just went straight through, straight to the start, the second stage. Did that, and then went back for the nice warm shower. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, you know, and the, of course, uh, given the, the circumstances of the whole year, um, I think you um, you know you pulled off uh, pulled it off as good as you could. And uh, yeah, I have to commend you for that. So well done, um, Bryson. You had something. Yeah. F uh, yeah. To follow up on your your first hand. Um uh, praise on the way that uh, the alteration was handled. Uh, something came to mind when um, Nick was describing it. And, um, as a director and course designer, are you creating um, as you as you create your your course and your race? Are you creating some backup plan or extra strategy, um, some contingency, just like you did uh, in 2020? Yeah, absolutely. Um, one of the first meetings that we had with the EWS is um, there is an annual organizers meeting in, in Finale and um, every, all the organizers meet and we share experiences and, um, and solutions and so on. And before we, um, we did the Continental Series in 2018 and the Helvetica Cup, we had this meeting and one of the emphasis was like don't don't show the the gnarliest thing or the the most expo like the 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 most uh you know hard to get to you know trail and so on always think about the worst of of scenarios and you you want to build up these backup plans you want to know where can you get to like where can the rescue team get to and so on and it's funny, like this, like people asked me, like, how, how, how did you make these decisions, you know, in, in these couple hours? But it's not like that, you know, when I, when I stepped out of the shower at, you know, half past five in the morning, I, I knew with what, what the options were, right? We didn't know, you know, what the actual um, weather would be like or the actual situation, but we, we had, you know, plan B, C, D, and then, yeah, eventually cancellation was the, the very last resort. Yeah. And uh, comparing 2020 to 2019, which was your first EWS year, um, now 2020, you, you kind of took away, like you said, you took away the, the festival portion, a large majority of it, and then you kind of went down to basics for the race. Um, knowing that you could have still pulled off a race with less resources, um, and then comparing that to 2019, where you 
basically it was your first shot and you really wanted to give it a full pull. Um, are you going to enter 2021 with sort of the kind of, I don't know, chip on your shoulder, like, yeah, we can pull this off easy if we just go easy street or how, how what's the approach for 21? No, it's, it's a nerve wracking, um, you know, uh, time the build up to to the race and you know talking to the municipalities and in in the case of Gromontana which we are gonna race this year um you know with the bike park and the trail builders there and you know additionally uh, they all speak French and uh, my French is only good after you know about two and a half pints <laughs> and uh, you know it's it's um nothing to to be taken lightly of course, we have extremely um, good connections, you know, to the Air Sermat, Air Glacier, um, you know, this kind of rescue team. Um, we are working very well with um, Ruri Cunningham from the EWS, which supports us in all like technical questions and so on. But it's, um, you know, you, you definitely have to make plans for all the eventualities and that's not to be taken lightly. You already um, alluded to earlier to an interesting question. And that's the, um, you know, the difference between the EWS or so the elite and uh, the EWS 100. And of course, you have to design your course with um, you know, 500 riders in mind, and only let's say 100 of those are elite riders. Um, how do you approach designing the course, having those kind of two camps in mind? Are you sticking to I want to make a great race for the elite or are you also trying to showcase the beauty of the area with some more flowy, flowy trails? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, it's, it's a really hard um, balance to, to keep, right? Uh, it's not, not everything that is fun to ride is fun to race. Right. And um, we definitely were um, learning that lesson a lot from uh, 2019 we are we always made sure that we had you know that we had a, a good relationship with the with the riders and that we would get their riders feedback and so on um, so you kind of start to get a sense of what what's actually fun uh, for example a big uh, thing that you want to avoid uh, elite or or amateurs is like these uh, these uphills that you were talking about, because <laughs> even if they are just you know let's say twenty meters, thirty meters, a light uphill, if you do that in race mode and sprint, and you're already like uh, you know at your limit, that is not not fun to ride. Is that uh, correct, Pascal? <laughs> well, I mean it's 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 one thing, but I've I've actually taken the time uh, when I threw myself into EWS uh, racing to read the technical rules, and the rule stipulates that eighty percent of the the stage needs to be downhill, and uh, mm -hmm. the rest can be whatever it is. And I have a cross country background, so I don't really mind the spicy little uphill. But uh, what was uh, in terms of the um, the, the challenging things that you've put into the race I've done 2018 Zermatt as well with the the stage start um, on Trockenersteig which yeah. is at 3000 meters and I found that much much harder than any small uphill in another stage that's a thousand meters lower it's just the the altitude and the excitement of a, of a race start and you sprinting and you know 20 seconds into the stage you're breathing through your eyeballs and uh, yeah. so that's I think that's much much harder but um, <clears throat> again, on the balance, you would uh, you would rather make the elite happy than uh, than uh, the, uh, the EWS one hundred. Yeah, I, I kind of uh, yeah. I always say that you know, the, design the course for the elite. I mean, part of the appeal uh, to race uh, EWS one hundred is to, as an amateur, to ride and race a you know a World Cup. Uh, track and world cup course and therefore uh, i think it should be catered more to you know to the elite which is not to say you you should do it as hard as possible because if it's just you know jank as uh, the rocky mountain team likes to call it is it's uh you know uh 
it's not fun for anybody, right? Okay. Well, talking talking of the or speaking of the uh, Rocky Mountain team, I saw on uh, an Instagram before the race they obviously traveled to Zermatt a little bit earlier and they were exploring the the terrain a little bit. And uh, I think they they had some challenges with some of the the rocks. Um, what was the story there? Yeah, definitely. Um, I mean, the some teams are more vocal about how they feel about a, a venue and, and the course. Uh, some are a little less vocal and we, we get a lot of rider feedback directly, like from the rider sport uh, itself. Um, but in, in some cases, as you mentioned, uh, social media is faster and <clears throat> our team, like the stage managers and uh, all the people working on the stages and the trail builders, you know, uh, uh, pick that up and so this year we we thought okay i i think or we thought it's a cool thing to actually respond and do something about it so in 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 that case uh that you mentioned they were you know talking about a specific rock uh, a specific uh place and then uh, yeah we sent some guys up from the local bike club and uh, yeah made a little story got rid of that rock and <laughs> at the end of the day i mean it's safer it's uh, probably nicer to ride so uh, it's it's good yeah and it's a, <clears throat> an interesting um, an interesting aspect right we had the um, the conversation with um, Jan Kadosh and Dario Loner about you know their experience with the uh, photo of the year and uh, one interesting thing they they noted is that uh, you know that um, especially riders from North America, Canada, U.S., wherever they don't they don't really know or can appreciate kind of the, the heritage of the trails that we have here, and um, you know that and that my response was well you know most of the people that have never been to Europe they don't know that most of those trails they are not purpose built. They are, you know, have been around for a couple of hundred years. They've been used for farmers. They've been used for smugglers. They've been used by goats, etc. So it's not like they've been built janky on purpose to, to make it difficult for the racers. Um, and then only recently we started building purpose-built uh, mountain bike trails. And, um, you know, and then maybe what is your perspective on kind of bridging that gap between you know, let's say international riders that are, you know, used to maybe faster riding, flowier, you know, more open trails and quite frankly, some janky old alpine hiking trails that we have in Zermatt or in other alpine destinations. Yeah, I, I think there is something to be said about all, all types and varieties of trails, right? I mean, you guys know this, it's just fun to, to have the variation. And that's why I'm super stoked to go to Grand Montana because they have some really flowy, almost jump line kind of like bike park uh, bits. They have some uh, old school downhill bits and some single trail, which I think at the end of the day, this is really cool if you can, you know, have every stage feel different and have, have uh, their own character. Um, but obviously we were very concerned about you know what's what's the standard for an ews uh, when it comes to the actual trail and so on and what happens is that um chris ball would uh, and now ruri cunningham uh, uh took his uh, his position they actually visit the venues first uh, we presented you know the possible trails and in that visit, you're already talking quite specifically about, you know, certain corners or certain, um, let's say, rock gardens or, or, or things that are, you know, a no-go or a go. So you, so you already have, like, you can build your, your um, uh, image of what, what it should be. Um, and then for the Helvetica race and um, Continental Series, Tracy Mosley was uh, assigned to do the course checking and for example her she was really pleased by how it went back to the roots so to speak 
and she said oh this is cool this is again like uh, alpine and it's rough and it's you have to be smart about your line choice and so on so and l funny enough a lot of the girls uh in the ews uh katie winton also was really pleased with the uh, uh 2019 like course like they they said it's really interesting to write you have to be um you know focused and and uh, choose your line vi wisely whereas a lot of the yeah north american riders are used to something different and um probably didn't have as much fun riding those trails Well, maybe to, um, to kind of wrap up the EWS uh, discussion, conversation. Um, so after, let's say, two and a half um, EWSs, so two full EWSs and a, a Continental Series one, um, what were the, the kind of highlights for you personally um, out of those three events? I, I would say that the first EWS like when that race finished and like just the just the energy that was in the team like in like in, in the volunteers uh, the stage managers and everybody man it's like it i it, i get goosebumps when i think about it like you the last you know um timing manager confirms over the radio that the the race is over that the last you know, racer is uh, in uh, in the finish or across the finish line. Like that was just incredible. That was really, really cool. Yeah. Well, I mean, it looked like a fantastic race. And of course, uh, like uh, in contrast to 2020, uh, ideal racing conditions, probably almost a little bit too ideal. I mean, the, uh, a little bit of rain always adds a bit of spice to a race. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but, a little uh, bit. <laughs> But uh, just a little bit, but you know, not, maybe not in quite to the same extent as uh, as last year. Um, Bryson, do you have anything else? Uh, part of the appeal to me for EWS, uh, other than pure mountain biking, is this idea of that I'm like you said, I'm riding the the track of the pros, and I could even you know in some cases compare my time to them uh, if I were to say sign up for a, a 100. Um, however. I think it's really the case of like gladiators and villagers. So I'm like one of the villagers who shows up and was like, rah, rah, okay, let's do this. But then really when there's that guy in the middle of the ring facing the bull and he you know, slays the beast and I'm like, yeah, I could do it too. Mm, probably not, but hey, I could give it a shot. Um, how, would you, how do you feel about, about racing? Are you, are you a gladiator or are you a villager? Oh man, I'm I'm the spectator for sure. I'm I'm. Uh, you want to be entertained. One of the peasants, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, but actually, Bryson, you already mentioned. I think the, the the cool thing about it is the inspiration, right? Like you you look at them or you look at somebody, and I mean, it can be something very specific. How they take a corner, what kind of line, what like how much energy they still have you know at the end of a stage like stuff like that is just inspirational and i think that's what drives you know the the villagers as you uh, called them to actually you know follow the the circus and uh, you know race them themselves it's it's fantastic you guys uh, might have met somewhere in the mountains at one point isn't that correct pascal yeah, I know. I mean, uh, I think uh, Nick, uh, he, he made some, some experience how a race goes down in the snow at the Enduro 2. Absolutely. Um, I mean, you said you, you like to be entertained. You're a peasant, a spectator, but uh, that didn't look like uh, spectating at all the last time I saw you race a bike. So what is that trip uh, to Davos like? Yeah, that was also something I, I won't forget. And it's it's funny, you know what? In 2000. 19 um we had a conflict of um dates with the enduro de or enduro teams as it's called now and we couldn't move our date so they moved their date and as you remember that you know we got snowed in at that at that race 
and then uh, one year after it was the other way around payback uh, yeah exactly <laughs> davos was beautiful to race and we had uh, the bad weather but yeah i mean this we we go there with um with a lot of people from our bike club we want to have fun we want to ride together and it's a good example we all said look if it's snowing like that we would have all stayed at home and you know drank beer probably but we all went out we all raced we all actually you know um succeeded in that we were actually you know give it a, you know racing and probably we were riding way faster than we would have otherwise and that was uh yeah that was fantastic pretty pretty cold but yeah I don't have to tell you about that, Pascal. Yeah, no, and it's uh, yeah, no, it is uh, again. Uh, it's also one of my favorite, uh, one of my favorite events um, here in the Alps. It's just, um, you know, the vibe is obviously slightly different than at uh, an EWS, um, just because of the slightly less um, strict interpretation of the rules. Um, so, like, the ta- there's no strict timing, and you know, you can. But in the liaisons, you can take your time, and well, but uh, on the other hand, it's not like the racing is easy. It's it's just that you know it's, it's, it's long stages. I mean, I mm-hmm. think uh, the Saturday is uh, four or five stages, and none of the stages is less than ten minutes, and two of them are more than fifteen minutes. So it's uh, some yeah, some pretty full on alpine racing. So I think it's pretty comparable, but of course the experience is slightly slightly different than an EWS weekend. Um, but. Um, Something I would like to get into, and obviously something we like to explore with our guests, because this, after all, it is a podcast about mountain biking in Switzerland, is, um, of course, you live in Zermatt, um, but the real question is, where do you like riding when you're not riding in Zermatt at home? Yeah, I think um, I, I do like the, the Valle. I, I like to ride here. Um, I like to go to, to Verbier. As I mentioned, I, I kind of like this mix between bike park and and uh, single single track. My wife loves the bike park. She hates every uh, uphill. So that kind of determines also uh, where we go f- on holidays and so on. But I would say like Verbier, Grand Montana, like uh, even Lechenthal, there's so many hidden gems also like far away from the bike parks. Um, and I like the the valley for sure. And I'm slowly exploring the rest of Switzerland, right? <laughs> <laughs> okay. And um, I think one of the the questions we like to ask is like, um, you know, we know that you like to say you don't guide, but if you have guests, <laughs> if you have guests from overseas, wherever they are from, maybe from the U.S. or from Canada, actually, um, where do you bring them to show the best riding Switzerland has to offer? Apart from Zermatt, you're not allowed to say Zermatt. Oh, that's a pity because I know I know everything here, so that's that would be the easiest. Um, but honestly, I love everything around FISP, the area of FISP. It it just offers so much. It's it's easy to to um, to access, you know. Um, and and if if they are good riders. I would probably take them off uh, to to the hot route, like Verbier to Zermatt. Uh, we'll we'll leave the the last day in Zermatt then, if I'm not allowed to guide them here. But um, <laughs> it's really cool, like like going from valley to valley. You have a a, a big like uphill, uh, sometimes carrying your bike and beautiful vistas, uh, and really showcases you know Switzerland. Uh, yeah. Okay, nice. I put that on my bucket list right now. <laughs> Done. All right. You obviously you live in uh, in Zermatt. It's not only great for riding a bike. It's uh, also one of the, the nicest areas to ski. Um, you do ski, I understand. Um, but um, we've, we've also we've had a theme of like this um, co-inspiration between these big mountain sports, right? So kind of on the one hand, skiing, snowboarding, which is kind of this big mountain experience. You're out there challenging yourself to climb the mountain, riding it down in your free, creative way. And, it's, you know, then with mountain biking, it's kind of a similar thing, depending on, on how you like to ride. So what, uh, for you, what inspires you riding more? Is it um, the mountain biking is kind of inspiring the skiing or is it more the other way around? 
you know it's it's funny you should mention this uh choosing of the the lines you know in in skiing and snowboarding because what i really love about mountain biking is that you actually follow each other you actually you know you're riding with each other much more than say skiing or like like free riding um uh, does you know you actually see the mistakes and the genius lines and the genius moves that the person in the front of you does you 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 can actually feel them you know accelerating get, go, getting away from you and so on you know i think that is just amazing and i i haven't like seen that in any other sport that you can actually observe each other you know so closely while still like having fun and and doing your own thing and inspire again inspire each other you know riding behind each other and riding in a big group and so on so that is to me that is like cooler than than skiing i would say nice this is a perspective i've never heard and it makes so much sense actually you've given me an epiphany (laughs) there you go there you go well, I guess on that uh, positive note, uh, unless you have uh, anything else you would like to add to the conversation. I'm just really happy to to have been able to kind of explain my side of the <clears throat> the EWS Sunday, you know. Um, maybe there is, you know, there is always a lot of chatter going on in the pits. There is a lot of chatter on social media. Um, to me, in my position... Um, I hear all that, I hear it quite loud, um, but I need to focus on what my, you know, the rescue team tells me. I need to focus on, you know, my spies on the mountain. I have a couple people that, you know, are in the race and know the mountain very well and know the rescue team very well. And these are my, my guys, you know, my go-tos where I can kind of feel the temperature. Um, and Sometimes it's not easy, you know, to <clears throat> to have uh, this chatter from the pits um, not being too loud. Um, and for everybody outside of, you know, the race office, <clears throat> they obviously just hear the chatter. So, uh, yeah, I, I'm happy to be to have been able to kind of explain a little bit what, you know, went on behind the curtains. Wow. Well, thank you very much. I think we we really enjoyed we really enjoyed uh, you know the insights into and the challenges of uh, of what uh, looked like a pretty gnarly year to be organizing a, a race, <laughs> you know, given the global pandemic as well as the, the the entire weather situation. But I guess on a on a more lighthearted note, I think we we go to to our closeout questions. You know, we're getting a little bit towards the end of our time. And we have three uh, relatively lighthearted questions. I think Bryson will beg to differ on, on the lightheartedness, but uh, mine are certainly a little bit lighthearted. So maybe with the first one, uh, we've talked about, of course, the biking in Zermatt and the fantastic destinations, but we haven't really talked about bikes yet. So maybe if you could tell us a little bit about that, that first bike that got you really stoked about riding mountain bikes. Yeah. Um I must say it wasn't a bike that I owned, but it was a bike that my body lent me. Um, and it was a, an Iron Horse Sunday. I don't know if you guys remember that. Man, a classic. Um, yeah, it's a good, it's a goodie. And he, my friend, <clears throat> he used to race downhill. So it, it was like specked out and it was in prime conditions. So what happens is or what happened is that um, my brother-in-law, um, he's Canadian and he came visit like for a visit. And he said, OK, we have to check out uh, Finale Ligure. Get yourself a, bl- a bike and, and we go down there. So that was basically my introduction to actual you know, trail riding on that iron horse. And everybody kept saying, oh, yeah, Sam Hill's ride and so on. And I had no idea what they were talking about. And uh, it was so, so cool, like learning about all that, you know, after the fact. And uh, yeah, I was hooked from from then on. Oh, wow. Yeah. I mean, that's not only a fantastic bike, but also, you know, you know, 
genius location to get started in uh, trail riding. Okay, wow. Um, that's a good one, a new one. Um, second question for me. Imagine you're Harry Skidini and you're a bike magician extraordinaire. You can make riding a mountain bike more awesome for anyone by the stroke of a magic dropper post. What would you do? Oh, it's easy. Build it and they will come. Man, we need, we need more infrastructure. We need especially infrastructure, good trails, good like skill centers for, for young people, kids, families to, to get into it. And then, you know, once they're hooked, I think, uh, you know, we have a, a bunch more. I don't know if they can deliver the bikes that are going to be on demand <laughs> at these times, but I think that's the key, yeah. By the, by the time we've built all that infrastructure, the bikes should be here. <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> so imagine yourself in the, uh, in the grandstands and everywhere around you, everybody's cheering, everyone's rah, we're going to make this happen. You're expecting this gladiator to come out and he's going to pull the most perfect skid. Please describe what you see. Uh, I can't tell you what it technically needs for the most perfect skid. I, do, I just know that like what it means to have pulled off such a skid is when not just yourself or not just the rider is smiling, but everybody around, you know, can feel that buzz. And I mean, that's what constantly happens, right? <laughs> when we do these things, I think that is the, like then that's proof that you, that you did the perfect skid. I'm feeling that for sure. <laughs> yeah. There you go. Skits and giggles. <laughs> well, Nick, thanks again for sitting down with us tonight. This was really, really cool. Um, if listeners have any questions or you know, want to get in touch with you, want to learn more about you and your jobs, um, what are you up to? Where can they find you? Yeah, I mean, we've just launched the Swiss Enduro series, um, which people should definitely check out. Uh, SwissEnduro.ch, they will find my details on there. And uh, yeah, I really hope to see a lot of people at the races. All right. Well, again, that was awesome. Thank you very much again. And uh, yeah, we'll see you out there, hopefully soon. See you on the trails. Thank you, Bryson. Cheers, Thank you, Pascal. Cheers. Cheers.